Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? I had planned to preach about the fatherhood of God and continue to lean into adoption and what the Lord is stirring in our body here. And I woke up this morning with Proverbs 13.22 on my heart. We're turning to Philippians 2. But Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Can we amen the word of God? A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And I was stirred this morning, and I felt like the Lord dropped this word in my heart about building generationally. I want you to write that down. Building generationally. Because that's what I want to lean into this morning. You know, that Proverb 13.22. Dave Ramsey will use that all day long to tell you why you need to invest and have life insurance. And that's great. Praise God. Thank God for Dave Ramsey. Someone say amen. Who's Dave Ramsey? There's, he has a cult following. He has a very devoted following. <laughs> if you violate Dave, you have insulted the Messiah of money. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And yes, that has to do with wealth, undoubtedly. But do you know that there's something more valuable that you can leave your children than money? It's an inheritance and a legacy of faith. And I want to talk this morning about building generationally because I believe it's on the heart of God for us as a church and I believe that the Lord is asking us to take our eyes off of ourselves. We live in a self-centered, self-absorbed and self-consumed era. It is quite frankly all about me, myself and I. We have a generation of people that are entering the workforce right now that want to be the general manager by their second week and they can't even show up on time. We are entitled and we are addicted to ourselves and we only focus on how things affect me. But God is after a people, maturing a people, who will build generationally, who will have a heart to leave a legacy of Christ, of faith, to the generations that follow. We're only four years into our Father's house. Make it almost... Five, depending on when you gauge that. This is not meant to be some fun, nice little local social club where we had a good time and we read the Bible a bit. This is the church of the living God, the pillar of the truth that we're building in such a way that it would stand the test of time. But in order to do that, you have to build upon the foundation of Jesus for no other foundation can truly be laid. And the foundation of Jesus includes with it a generational legacy because God is a generational God. When you read the Old Covenant, you see repeatedly that God calls Himself the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
He's saying, I was God to Abraham. I was God to Isaac. I was God to Jacob. Don't you know what a blessing it was for Isaac to grow up in Abraham's house? And to learn and to hear of the stories of how God had worked with Abraham and Sarah. And don't you know what a blessing it would have been for Jacob to grow up in the house of his father Isaac and to hear stories about his grandfather Abraham and how the Lord had been building a testimony and a heritage of faith in their family. Have you ever been encouraged by the activity of God in someone else's life. Lord, I hope you say yes. When God begins to build a heritage, when He begins to lay down a plumb line for a legacy of Jesus, which He wants to do in every family and every person represented here, there has to be a surrender to Jesus in order for the blessing of God to flow. Listen. We are all guilty. We want the blessings and the benefits of following Jesus without the sacrifice and obedience He requires. We are so lukewarm that preaching obedience or mentioning holiness or talking about sacrificing for the Lord, people are immediately ready to call you a legalist. When grace comes through the new covenant to teach us to obey the Lord. The grace of God is not a license to sin. The grace of God is the power to live free from sin. But most of the church knows the pardon of grace without the power of grace. Grace actually cuts off the power of the sin nature at work within you where God by the person of His Spirit has the ability, it's Him who is able to work in you and give you a new heart and a new mind. Jesus called it being born again in John 3. Could it be that we have people quarreling in churches and causing problems and backbiting and fighting? Thank God we don't have much of that here because they're actually not even born again. Because they're in the house of God and Jesus said that the wheat and the tares, that they grow up together. And yet in the last days we understand that Jesus comes and He separates the sheep from the goats. Would to God that every soul represented here was truly a sheep in the good shepherd's fold. But can I tell you something? It's not about you knowing God. It's about God knowing you. Matthew 7, Jesus makes that scary statement where they're going to say to Him, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in Your name? Did we not prophesy? They did all the fun stuff and God was doing it, but Jesus says, depart from Me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. It's about God knowing you. Does God know you? Does He know your name? Do you spend time with Him? Do you connect with Him in a heartfelt way? Listen, when Jesus talked about our daily bread, what does that mean? Because daily bread looks a little different depending on the time and the season of your life. How many of you know there are different kinds of bread? And I like them all. <laughs> croutons is a form of bread. I like extra croutons on my salads because I'm just trying to drown out the lettuce. <laughs> Screaming, eat more of me. And I say, get behind me, Satan. You have a loaf of bread, you have rolls, you can have garlic, you can have cheese, you can have... I'm going to get lost in this. I'm hungry. 
But Jesus comes as the bread of life and he invites us to eat of daily bread. And sometimes daily bread looks different, but you've got to make sure that you get your daily bread. You've got to make sure that you connect with God in a meaningful way each and every day. Did you know that God actually just wants you to walk and talk with him throughout your day? He just wants to have unbridled and undistracted fellowship with you. Can I be extremely honest? Yes, I'm going to be. You guys know the deal. But when we're worshiping on Sunday mornings, I have to tell you that sometimes I have a pain and I have a grief in my heart because some of us know how to connect with God and worship and quite frankly, some of us are bored. Where there's poor vision of Jesus, there's poor worship. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. I wonder if our vision problem is because of the lack of purity within our own souls. I'm fascinated with Christ. I have two fascinations in my life. The beauty of God and the depravity of man. I'm blown away by both. By how deeply sinful I am. And how awesome and might and power and splendor the Lord is. And I just, just fascinate. I'm just in awe of who God is. I don't get stuck too much on myself. I lift my eyes and fix them on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of my faith. What does this have to do with building generationally everything? Because whatever you allow into your life becomes the leaven that your children eat. God wants to purify the bread of your own soul so that when it's broken, that your children and your children's children begin to eat something that nourishes them. Some of you know that Taylor and I, we did youth ministry for years. I always regretted the parents who brought their children who were sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school, who were already wiling out, who were totally full of the world, who were completely deceived, and they brought them to us like, can you help us? was like, listen, if you don't cultivate an atmosphere for the presence of God in your home, our youth group meetings aren't going to do nothing for your kids. Are you with me this morning? See, we have blamed the church for the rebellion of our children, and it's a lame excuse before God. God didn't birth those kids to the church. He birthed them to you as their mom and dad. All right, three people are with me. Glory to God. So God wants us to leave a legacy in the earth for His glory. I want to give you a few keys to building generationally this morning. The first one is in Philippians 2, if you'll turn with me, and we'll read verses 14 through 16. We haven't had any preaching for three weeks, so I'm going to serve you a steak, and maybe you'll eat on it for the next three weeks, okay? There's a lot of Bible here today. I hope you're ready. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Number one is be saved from the perversion of your generation. The people of God are to appear 
as lights in this generation. We have to come out from the midst of the world and be separated unto God once again. Why does the church look so much like the world? Why can you not even tell who the Christians are anymore? Because the perversion of our generation is consuming us. Everywhere you look and everywhere you go. If you do not physically, intentionally, spiritually, violently come out of the world and be separate, you are either being conformed to the pattern of the world or you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some of us need to go to the Lord and say, God, teach me how to think again. Because how I think, you know why I read the Word of God? Because I'm tired of my own stupidity. I'm tired of my own reasoning and wisdom which falls short 100 out of 100 times. But when God begins to renew you in the spirit of your mind, you begin to think like the Lord and therefore you begin to act like the Lord. Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. How you view yourself and how you view God, those two things are interconnected. You can't separate them. So you have to come out from the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Let's have a discussion here. Let's talk about movies. Let's talk about music. Let's talk about the influences that are out there. Listen, I'm aware that many well-intending people have absolutely bound people up by their own convictions. I don't intend to impose my convictions upon you. Everyone say amen. But can I tell you something? You need to get some of your own. If you just listen to whatever, if you would be ashamed if Jesus was riding in the car with you, you need to stop right now. Music perverted my mind for many years. Some of you know I have a good memory. It's to my detriment in that department because I can't seem to get rid of the lyrics of the old me, but the blood of Jesus continually washes me. You know that you can watch movies and absolutely grieve the Spirit of God. I'm not going to tell you what movies. I'm not going to throw out a stipulation. You've got to know for yourself because without holiness, the Word of God says no one will see the Lord. So what does it look like to be saved from the perversion of our generation? I can tell you it doesn't look like nothing. It doesn't look like, yeah, I laugh at everything they laugh at and we do everything they do. No, if you're a believer, you got to get a backbone and you got to start having standards and letting people know, I don't roll like that. Don't waste your time inviting me. I'm not coming. Why are they even inviting you? Maybe because they don't even know where you stand. Go to Acts chapter 2. We're still talking about being saved from the perversion of our generation. That's number one. I'm sharing with you keys to building generationally. You have to be saved from the perversion that's unique to your generation. And I'll add that every generation's perversion is unique to itself. TikTok is a new battlefield that some people don't even know what that is. Praise the Lord. Is he talking about a grandfather clock? Acts chapter 2, verse 37, Peter is preaching. 
Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They want to know what do they have to do to be saved. You know that we go to the world and say, what do we have to do to get you saved? You don't like this part about God? Don't like this part of the Bible? Well, we'll just make up our own God and you can worship Him. Live deceived and go to hell. And Peter said to them, verse 38, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to Himself. So the Holy Spirit is for who? Everyone. For every generation, the Spirit of God and the things of the Spirit of God, prayer, prophecy, healing, speaking in tongues, miracles, signs, wonders, it's for you and for your children's children. And with many other words, Peter solemnly testified, verse 40, and kept on exhorting them, saying what? Be saved from this perverse generation. The next verse says that 3,000 souls came. The most powerful sermon may be recorded in Scripture with immediate fruit. 3,000 souls are saved. And he's telling them, be saved. Come out from this perverse generation. What does it look like for you to be delivered and preserved from perversion in this day and this hour. Are you with me? Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18. I told you we haven't had any preaching in weeks, so we're getting a big, a big helping this morning. Number one is be saved from the perversion of your generation. We're talking about building generationally. Number two, I want you to go ahead and write this down and then we'll get into the scripture. Number two is take full responsibility for your own sin. This starts with me. Take full responsibility for your own sin. Ezekiel 18, we're going to read the first four verses. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. Okay, stop. What does that mean? He's saying, Why do you have this proverb going on in this nation and among you as my people where you're saying what your father did is influencing you? The parents are the ones eating the sour grapes, but it's influencing, it's affecting the children. Let's hear what God has to say about this. Let's see if he likes that proverb. What do you think? Verse 3, as I live, declares the Lord. You know, that's not a good thing when God says, as I live, because He lives forever. As I live, declares the Lord God. You are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. Can you say personal responsibility? 
Read verse 20 with me of the same chapter. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. Is that pretty clear to you? So is there such a thing as generational curses when you're in Christ? Come on, contend with the Word of God, not what you've been taught. Because if I can tell you that there's a generational curse on your life and by giving a certain amount of money it'll break off of you, oh yeah, that'll sell. I think you figured out by now I'm not preaching for money. And I'm not preaching for applause. I'm preaching out of obedience to the Word of God. Are there generational consequences for sin? Yes, of course. If you grow up in the home of an abusive alcoholic father, you are certainly going to suffer at him raising you. But is there a curse, a woogity boogity boogity over your life that manipulates you and controls you so that really it's not your fault, you're just under a generational curse? No, I call it a generational excuse. You know why I don't believe in generational curses? Because we as orphans who reject God's fatherhood in our lives, we don't need any help being victims. We love to play the victim. It's always someone else's fault. When we disciple men and women, one of the things that we hammer into them is, look, where you're at in life and where you're at in God is entirely the result of your choices. And if you can stomach that and grab a hold of that and repent and ask God to transform your heart, we have a shot at real discipleship and real lifelong transformation. Not behavior modification where I realize, man, this was really an ugly look for me and I'll do the right things when people are watching, but really my heart is barren and I don't know God. We have people trying to set people free from addiction while they themselves are addicted. Hello, you know that that doesn't work. If you are struggling with an addiction and your discipleship partner is addicted to the same things, that's not discipleship, that's misery loves company. All right, one of us. The numbers are dwindling, hallelujah. So take full responsibility for your own sin. We don't need help playing the victim. We don't need help feeling sorry for ourselves. Repentance, true repentance, is marked by humility and by personal responsibility every time. When you really repent, you seek accountability because you want to change. You know what I've learned in my years of ministry, and I don't have many, but I've learned this much, that no matter how lovingly you say it, the truth will always feel like hatred to people that don't really want to change. I mean, I have begged, I have cried, I have wept over souls. I have basically whispered, please repent. And it's like, why do you hate me? Oh, I love you so much. I don't want you to go to hell. You don't get a do-over. When you die and you don't know when your last day is, you're going to stand before Jesus, the judge of the living and the dead, and give an account for every word that you spoke and every action. He's the God of recompense. He comes to repay us for our deeds. 
I want my life to be found righteous in the sight of the Lord. I want to walk with the fear of God gripping my heart to the point where it influences my decisions. There are many things in my life and in our family that we will never be a part of, that we will never partner with because they're gospel issues and those lines are drawn in the sand for us. Pops is here today. Pops and Melissa, thank you for coming. It's an honor to have you with us. I love one of the things my dad says. He says, if you live your life according to the word of God, 90% of your decisions are already made for you. If you live your life according to the scriptures, there's not a whole lot to decide. <laughs> Why are we so confused? Because we're looking for a third option. Jesus says, if you want to live, you must die. To be first, you finish last. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. These are all gospel core issues. Could it be that we have so much squabbling and trouble and issues in the church as a whole because people aren't even truly born again? So taking responsibility for your own sin is paramount to growing in Christ. Number three, identify the sin unique to your own family of origin. This is important. Identify the sin unique to your own family of origin. Why? Because we tend to repeat learned behavior. Because we tend to become what we hate. Anybody ever been there? Had that moment where you looked in the mirror and went, Oh my God, I'm just like my dad. I'm just like my mom. I'm just like Aunt Susie. I, whatever it is. So you have to take notice you have to pay attention. You have to identify the sin that's unique to your family of origin. Number four is, ready? Declare an all-out war against the dysfunctional family patterns. You got people, they can tell you the history of sin in their family. They can tell you every adultery and every affair and every failure. But have you declared war against it? It's quiet in here today. Identify the sin unique to your family and then declare an all-out war for the sake of Jesus. Because if you're going to build generationally for most of us, something's going to have to drastically change in your life. Otherwise, you will end up just like your upbringing. But here comes Jesus here comes the freedom that only Christ can give. And He comes to intercept and interrupt that thing in us that wants to just repeat cycles of sin. Are you with me this morning? Here's my cane. This thing's awesome. <laughs> Daniel, you want to try it out? <laughs> this was the cane of Joseph Lee Johnson Jr., who is my father's father, who was an abusive, alcoholic, raging maniac who mercilessly beat his children. He died with no legs, blind, from diabetes. And on his deathbed, 
he gave his life to Jesus Christ. But the scars that he left upon his children were deep. Can I tell you something? Dad, pops, I don't know nothing about this. Because of Jesus. Oh, but everyone will tell you you're under a generational curse. You're telling me that Jesus is being crucified. The Lord of glory. Blood rushing down His body. And He says, it is finished, but it wasn't enough. No, the power of Christ comes into our families to show us a different and a better way to live. And our children, Taylor and I, our boys, they'll never know anything about this. Why? Because it got cut off by the power of the blood of the Lamb. I'd love to snap this thing over my knee, but I'm going to preach with it until I die. I want to see each and every person break the cycle of sin that wants to swallow you up and devour you. You're going to have to do some things differently, beloved. You're going to have to get some more courage and some more determination. You're going to have to ask God, make me strong in my soul. The most miserable people are people that know the truth enough to feel sorry for their sin, but not enough to truly change. And then we're like dogs and we return to our vomit over and over and over. And it tastes terrible. And then we have a break and then we come right back to it because we've not learned the lessons that God wants to teach us. One of the most difficult lessons I've learned in my Christianity is that I could actually get in the way of what God was doing in someone's life by showing them kindness. Because the Father was seeking to discipline them and correct them in His love. Consequences are great teachers. Nothing's wrong with losing until you start accepting it. That's a Vince Lombardi quote, by the way. I had it up in my wrestling locker because I lost a lot of matches, but man, I never got used to losing. Some of us are losing in our spiritual life and you need to decide whether you like it or not because nothing's wrong. If you have a moment of weakness, if you give in to temptation and you get back in fellowship with the Father and you say, Lord, I'm sorry, I want to walk with you. Would you renew me? Would you strengthen me? Man, that's good. That's where you need to be. I don't get worried when people take a few punches in the face. I get worried when people want to take the gloves off and step out of the ring and just relax. Because this is a fight and there is spiritual warfare and there are principalities and powers of darkness and demons that absolutely want to crush you. The enemy is a murderer, a thief, and a liar. He's a mass murderer. He's a serial criminal. He will absolutely plunder you and leave you with nothing. And he'll laugh at you every single day of your life. I grieve at people that serve the devil so diligently. And then you become a Christian and you're like a little kitty cat. Meow, meow. Where's the passion? Where's the hunger? Where's the vigor? This life is passing by. We don't have much time. You are not going to regret one dollar that you give to Jesus. One minute that you share the gospel with a lost soul. You will never ever regret the seeds that you sow to eternity. We have single mothers. We have 
nursing mothers. We have stay-at-home mothers and they feel purposeless and worthless. No, that's a lie from the devil. You're raising disciples. You're building generationally. You're imparting a heritage of faith to your kids and showing them that there's a better way to live and it's for Jesus Christ. So you have to be saved from the perversion of your generation. Take full responsibility for your own sin. Identify the sin that's unique to you and then declare an all-out war. Would you say all-out war? I want to get you pumped up this morning. I want you to leave this meeting and declare an all-out war on the family dysfunction and the cycles of sin that want to devour you. Because if God has His say, you can stand up one day with something like this and say, it might have been in my grandfather, it might have been in my father, but not in me. Because Christ came into my life and greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. I'll share this some other time more in depth, but man, I had a revelation a few weeks ago that rocked my world. I believe the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said that the devil fathers people through fear. Satan fathers people through fear. God fathers us through love. But the enemy fathers us through fear. Fear can be a generational thing. Fear can want to swallow you up and drown you. Your mom or your dad lived in so much fear that you just think it's normal, but it's not. And Christ comes to liberate us through faith and show us what true freedom really looks like. Are you awake this morning? And some of us are sleepwalking and slumbering and next thing you know you're 40, 50, 80 and time's up. And we've left an awake of destruction and dysfunction and sin when we have opportunities right now to pivot, stop, turn the page, begin a new day for the sake of your children and your children's children. See, we're not just, oh, just our father's house. Yeah, we're having fun. It's going well. I'm talking about leaving a legacy for my children. I'm talking about invading this region with spirit-filled churches where people can get set on fire for God and hear the real gospel preached. You hear that lullaby? I can feel it in my spirit. Just relax. You can keep your old friends. Your old life ain't that bad. Fear's not a big deal. You can't afford to give to God. The enemy puts you to sleep. <sighs> Many people are sleepwalking. There are a lot of Christians. There are very few that embrace Christ-likeness. If the issue came down to character transformation, the church of Jesus Christ would be shockingly small. Would you turn with me to Job chapter 8? So you need to go left from Ezekiel. Go towards the beginning of the book. We were doing youth group one time and I told the kids, I'll give you, I'll give a, you $100 the first person that turns to the book of Hezekiah. They were like going nuts. It took like three minutes. Finally, someone opened the concordance and looked in the front. And they're like, there's no Hezekiah. It's like, you're right. 
And then I think I gave him $100. I don't think I was that cruel. Taylor says we didn't have $100 to give. Praise the Lord. We rebuke that poverty spirit in Jesus' name. Job chapter 8, verse 8. This is Bill Dad, Bill's dad. <laughs> Bill Dad, the shoeite, is talking. See, I can be serious and funny at the same time. I'm just being myself. Job 8, verse 8. Please inquire of past generations and consider the things searched out by their fathers. For we are only of yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are as a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and bring forth words from their minds? Number five is really simple. Seek out past generations for wisdom. And all the old people said, Amen. <laughs> and some of you refused to say, Amen. I love it when people are really old, but they're not old. I'm like, that's awesome. I had this uh, brother, he, w he came up to me, he was in his 30 35th year of ministry, he was retiring, and we started having a conversation. He's 66 years old, he's a pastor of another church, and uh, he was like, man, and we started talking, and I mentioned something. He goes, wait, wait, wait. He said, how old are you? I said, I turn uh, 29 next week. I said, how old are you? He's like 60, 66. He said, man, I thought you were like 40. I was like, I thought you were 100. <laughs> we had a good laugh. It was all in good fun. You know that the religious spirit hates youth, by the way, right? That's why Paul had to write to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. That starts with you, though. If you look down on yourself and you discredit yourself and you count yourself out and you come up with every reason why you can't, I promise you, you won't. Seek out past generations for wisdom. Just ask them great questions. You know the reason why I was having a conversation with that brother is because he came up to me and introduced himself and I went back to him a few minutes later and I said, hey, would you share with me a word about longevity and faithfulness and ministry? And we had a 15-minute, very enriching, powerful conversation where he shared with me his two biggest regrets after 35 years in the ministry. That was wisdom that I will hold on to that I would not have if I did not ask. All my life, I am miffed by people that make major life decisions and don't get any wise counsel. No wonder it didn't work out well for you. You know what's such a relief to my life? I don't have to know everything about finances. Guys, 10 years ago, I couldn't tell you the difference between a Roth IRA or capital gains or buy the dip or falling daggers. I knew none of it. You know who knows a whole lot about it? Jeff Jackson, my father-in-law. I don't have to understand because Jeff does. Hallelujah. <laughs> you don't have to know everything there is to know. You don't have to constantly be searching Google for crappy answers. You can actually ask someone in your life and entrust your heart to them that wisdom might come to you. Why would you ever buy a home without your parents or grandparents or older people who have bought and sold 50 properties not walk through it? Because they're looking at it with a pair of eyes and experience that you don't have. This is like, duh. 
Seek out the older generation. Ask them great questions. Can you guys say amen? Come on. Please, Lord. We lack wisdom because we failed to ask, and it's just all right around us. What I've learned about more seasoned saints is that there's something in their heart that's longing for you to approach them. But you know, it's really awkward if they come to you and say, hey, I'd I'd really like to disciple you. (laughs) Like, yeah, I'm good. (laughs) I'm busy for lunch every day this week for the rest of the year. (laughs) But when you begin to pull on that wisdom, when you begin to humble yourself, there's a great flow of grace that happens. Are you with me? Acts 13, let's go there. So turn right. Acts 13. There's two verses here about David. Acts 13, 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own what? In his own generation fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised, that's Jesus, did not undergo decay. Number six, his partner with God's unique purpose for your generation. If you want to build generationally, you have to come out of the perversion, declare war on all the things in your own life and your own family. But then you have to partner with God's unique purpose purpose for your generation so God is the God of eternity he's the one who was and is and is to come he was before all things he's uncreated creator he's the unoriginated origin however poetically you can say it God is God and he is massive words fail to describe the transcendence the timelessness of God he is the eternal father And he has a unique and specific purpose within every generation. He raises up men and women whom he desires who will partner with him to fulfill his plans in the earth. Does that make sense? For some reason that I can't fully fathom, God is committed to his partnership with mankind. God could have delivered the nation of Israel in a flash, and yet He appears to Moses, who's on the backside of a mountain, a loser, who's an ex-murderer, and He wants to use Him to deliver His people. Because God seeks to raise up. That's what He's desiring. Father, what is the unique purpose for me and my generation? Did you just read it? King David. After he served that purpose, God's purpose, in his generation, he died. He fought the good fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. So what is the unique purpose that God has for you? Would you turn with me to 2 Timothy 2? I told you we got a lot of verses this morning. I want you to hang with me. We just have a little while left. Thank you for listening. 2 Timothy 2. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. 
Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, some to honor, some to dishonor. Therefore if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So if you want to partner with God's unique purpose for your generation, you're going to have to purify yourself. Because there are vessels for honor and vessels for dishonor. How many of you want to be a vessel for honor? I want to have purified myself before the Lord so that when God in His wisdom and sovereignty is seeking to execute something in the earth, He says, there's my son, my servant, Paul Johnson. I'll anoint him and appoint him for such a time as this. But if you're in sin, you're on the sidelines. And here's the terrifying thing. If you're in sin and the enemy has his hooks in you, you become his puppet and the enemy will seek to prop you up and position many people underneath you, as many as he can, so that when he pulls on you and strikes you down, he can get as many as possible. Turn back a page. Second Timothy 1. Number 6. Partner with God's unique purpose for your generation. I'll give you the last one here. Number 7 is pass down the faithfulness of God to the next generation. Pass down the faithfulness of God to the next generation. How are we doing this morning? I love you. I want to see you win in your life. This isn't about what I want from you. This is about what I want for you. I want us to live free and clean and clear lives that are pleasing to the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. Paul talking to Timothy. And for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power and love and discipline. Did you catch that? Timothy had a responsibility because of the faith that was in his mother and in his grandmother that had been passed down to him. It says, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God. Listen, if you were raised in a godly home, if you grew up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, you have an extra responsibility to continue in the faith and follow Jesus. I love the testimonies of people who are way out in the world and God pulls them back in and it's an awesome, extraordinary thing. But I want to hear some more testimonies that sound like God kept me. God preserved me. Because the more that you eat at the table of the world, the harder that it is to live fully for Jesus. You open those doors of sin and the demons are constantly clawing at you. I don't want that for my kids, do you? 
So if you're going to build generationally, then you have to accept the responsibility to pass down the faithfulness of God. Listen, if you're here, your children should know the history, the family lineage and the heritage that God has been working in your life. The Jews, they had a responsibility. They would pass down through the oral tradition. They would share the stories. They would meditate on God's faithfulness. The Lord actually gave them the feasts in the Old Covenant so that they would remember what He did for them. Alright, a few of us are with me this morning. Do you understand that you have a responsibility to pass down the faithfulness of God to the next generation? You say, well, I'm not a parent. Well, are you an uncle? Are you an aunt? Are you a cousin? Are you a Christian? Are you a leader? There's always someone to share the faithfulness of God with. 2 Timothy 2.2 Paul tells him to entrust these things that you've seen in my presence to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. So if you're here and you've learned the Scriptures and you have a deposit of God, you have a responsibility to give it away. You are not free to shut your mouth. I feel the burden of the Lord this morning because we talk a lot about inheritance. But can I tell you, inheritance is what is given to you. Legacy is what you leave behind. Legacy is what is left by you. I want to leave a legacy. I've received a great inheritance in my life, but I want to leave a greater legacy so that my ceiling is my children's floor. Remember though, the perversion of this generation wants to swallow all of us up. You've heard me say it. You don't have to seek out pornography anymore. Pornography will seek you out. You can get a text message. You can get an email. You, it, it's coming for you. It's coming for our children. And I feel the burden of a father. I feel the weight of the love of God. That if the church of Jesus doesn't rise up, get a backbone, hold the standard, retain what Christ modeled and exampled for us, that we will get swept into the tidal wave that the world is sending. I want to build generationally in this church. I want to build generationally in my family. I want to build generationally in every way that I know how. I've had dreams about this ministry and I was in my 50s. That's a long time from now. Hallelujah. Some of you are like, he's 29, I'm leaving. God bless you. And it's just like, well, my dad drank, so I drink. Really, that's, that's the best you got. I feel like being honest this morning. I always do, but I feel like being really honest this morning. Are you just going to repeat the pattern? Or do you know a better way? And if you do, then do it. Because you become what you hate. You reproduce who you are. You're going to reproduce yourself in your children. You reproduce yourself in your disciples. And if your life is not clean and pure before the Lord, you impart that to your kids. 
I don't want my kids to know anything of my dysfunction and my brokenness. Therefore, it behooves me in humility to share my mistakes and failures with them in an honest way so that my mistakes don't have to be theirs. It's a really silly example, but I was over Tristan's house a few days ago and he had a candle on the coffee table that had burned all the way down. It was just to the wax and we had a coffee table that we burned up because a candle burned through it. If you don't know when it's just the liquid, it burns a hole. Well, I saw that. I said, hey man, I just said, look, I made that mistake. It doesn't have to be yours. He moved the candle. The table was hot, but it hadn't burned through yet. You share your mistakes. You share your failures. That pastor shared his top two regrets with me and it nourished my soul. There was immediately a connection and a kindred love for God that we were in the spirit in that moment. If you're going to build generationally, you have to build humbly. I want to leave a legacy to my kids that goes far beyond wealth. Amen. Yes, we should leave wealth to our children. A righteous man does so, but there's something greater than riches. It's the riches of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you believe that, if you're committed to building generationally, I want to invite you to stand with me right now. And I want to take a moment and honor my dad who is here amid great health challenges, who's come here to be present and a part. And I want to thank you, dad. I want to thank you for who you are. And I want to thank you and honor you for the man of God that I've seen you and known you to be all my life. And I want all these people to know here today that if you've at all been touched through my life, you've been touched through his life. Because God is bearing fruit through me because of him. I want the same thing for my children, don't you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace to build generationally. God, I pray that we would get our eyes off of ourselves, Lord, that we would begin to fight and war, not just for ourselves, but for our children and our children's children. God, we ask that You would raise up a righteous standard in this nation, Lord, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that You raise the bar. We're asking today in Jesus' name for the grace, for the vision, for the wisdom to build this house, lest the laborers labor in vain because you're not building with us, God. We yield to you. We ask you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. Would you come and show us, Lord, where we've become perverted by this generation, by this world. Would you call us out today? Help us to be holy and separate and consecrated unto you, Father, that we would not eat at the table of the Lord and drink the cup of demons we want to be pure in heart we want to be undefiled and unblemished we want to live a life that's worthy of you Jesus let it translate let it transfer into our children in the name of Jesus we pray Amen